Okay, let's open up in our Bibles now to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we are finishing our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This is installment 13. We are talking about the Holy Spirit and mission. The Holy Spirit and mission. Luke chapter 24, I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. Jesus has just been resurrected from the dead. And here are some of his final words to his disciples. We pick it up in Luke 24, verse 46. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the call and the promise represented in this passage that you have called us to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in you to all of the nations. Thank you, Lord, that there is not a Christian man or woman who is exempt from that call. We are all called to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ to all the nations. Thank you for that privilege, that wonderful joy. Thank you that you have called us and consider us to be sent people. Thank you that with that sentness comes power. Thank you for the promise of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Power from on high to be your witnesses. Lord, we as reality want to be faithful with this call. We want to be faithful with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We want to be used for your glory. We want to get to the end of our lives and know that they have counted for your kingdom. Men and women and children have been saved from sin as we have proclaimed your cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, glorious thing. So we ask that this morning as we talk about that, that you would enliven our hearts, that you would very kindly and yet profoundly rattle our lives that you wouldn't allow us to be normal and just go through the motions of living a regular life, but you would call us to proclaim the forgiveness of sins through the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to every nation. Don't let us escape this call. Pray that you would please anoint me now to teach and preach in a way that is consistent with your word and brings glory to your name and accomplishes your purposes. Pray it together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been in the series on the Holy Spirit working with this paradigm. It started in the first installment of the series, which was the person of the Holy Spirit. We were trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is as the third member of the Trinity, third member of the Godhead. 
We're trying to talk about who he is apart from what he does. And that's always a challenge, right? When you want to know about so-and-so, you're like, well, what does so-and-so do? And we think that that tells us a lot about them. But what someone does is never the whole story. What tells you a lot about someone is what they're passionate about. What, what gets them up in the morning? What causes them, to, causes them to move and breathe? And in that study, we discovered that for the person of the Holy Spirit, he is passionate about Jesus Christ, holiness, and mission. It's evident in the scriptures. So in the next installment, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. We realized that the Holy Spirit is going to be working toward those things. Exalting Christ in the life of the believer and in the world creating holiness in the life of the believer and convicting the world of their lack thereof and propelling believers into the world on mission. The paradigm is that the Holy Spirit is always exalting Christ, creating holiness, and initiating, leading, and empowering mission, the proclaiming of the gospel to all the nations. And as a pastor in this church, I I must lovingly ask you, what has the Holy Spirit done in your heart this summer with regards to the exaltation of Christ, the working of holiness, and propulsion into mission? What has the Holy Spirit done in your life this summer? Or, dear brother and dear sister, have you merely sat in the pews again? That is not what you're called to do. Yes, the church is called to teach and to preach the scriptures, but we are called to do the scriptures. And the clergy is not called to do the ministry. The clergy is called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So in what way this summer, as you reflect for a moment, has the Holy Spirit caused you in your life and within your sphere of influence to exalt Christ, pursue holiness, and engage in mission? There should be some measurable, tangible thing that you could point to and say, yeah, the Spirit has done this in me. And logically, it would follow this way. If the Holy Spirit has been doing the first two in you, exalting Christ and creating holiness, then the final work of the Spirit, mission, will naturally follow. If he's doing the first two, the third will follow. If he's truly exalting Christ in your heart, then it's going to be hard for you not to talk about Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is exalting Christ. Christ in your heart and your partner, but that's going to be hard for you to shut up about Jesus around the people that you know. And if he is truly working consecration, holiness, and sanctification in your life, then you will be gladly counting the cost to take the good news of Jesus to those that you know and the ends of the earth. The order of the paradigm is no mistake. The end of the road and the work of the Holy Spirit is mission. And if we have spent the summer diving into the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and it it doesn't yield in us at least an inkling of a desire to be about the mission of God, then something, my dear brothers and sisters, is amiss. See, mission and missionary activity is the indispensable proof and fruit of all spiritual life. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of mission. God is a missionary God, always reaching out in His love. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of His reach. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and fills us, we are filled with the missionary Spirit of God. It's in you, believer. 
Now, what are we talking about when we talk about missions and mission and missionary endeavors? What is mission? Mission is God's purpose to make Christ known to every person. Very simple. God's purpose in the world, to make Christ known to every person. Here, with the people that we know in our city, in our spheres of influence, there to the nations, the uttermost parts of the earth, and everywhere. Mission is joining in the purpose of God to make Christ known. It is God's burning, impassionate desire to reveal himself in order that men, women, and children might be saved. Now, why does God have this passionate drive, this thing, mission? Well, one of our favorite verses, John three sixteen, makes it obvious. And verse 17, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God is a missionary God because of his ever-reaching love. We are called to be on mission because of God's love. God saves people because of his love and does so through Christ. God is not a begrudging savior. God doesn't have to be coerced to save or begged to save. God loves to save people. Look what it says in Romans 5, 8 through 1. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people will be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, not willing to die for an upright person, excuse me, verse eight. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. There was no, in other words, pause for a moment, there, there was nothing in us before God that warranted any favor or merit. We were sinners. We were rebels. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Mission exists because God is a God of love and he loves broken people. And he is always at this moment with people that you know reaching out to them in the midst of rebellion. Now, what is the goal of God's loving mission? Revelation chapter 7 gives us a snapshot in verse 9 where John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
The consummation is that men and women and children will be gathered from all the earth, from every tongue, tribe, and nation around Jesus to exalt him. The finality of it all is the exaltation and the eternal enjoyment of Christ Jesus by every tongue, tribe, and nation. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he, Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The end game of mission is the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the salvation of rebels as we are before Christ finds us. And this is the burning passion of God to save sinners and exalt Christ and to bring the two together, a multitude of the redeemed around the throne of the Lamb. And that reality is unfathomable. We read it and it just kind of passes over us. We, can't, we can seldom picture it or even think about that moment. For some of us, it seems nearer than others. But as sure as we are here today, that day is coming where every tongue, tribe, and nation, every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow together and exalt Christ as Lord. That is the burning passion of God. And my brother, my sister, God has invited you to participate in his burning passion. God has called you to engage in the passion of his heart. He has given us a few things. Number one, the great commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The great commission. We have been commissioned into the work of God. It's not the great suggestion. It's not an option. Jesus wasn't saying, look, here's the deal, guys. If you're not too busy with like making money and fishing and school and fun and surfing and all these other things, if you're not too busy with those things and you have some extra time, I'm just inviting you to come and, you know, just do a little bit of like evangelism. It's not, it wasn't the way it went. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I'm the king of kings, the Lord of lords, I'm the boss, and I am commissioning you. But Jesus, I, I don't want it. He didn't ask you. <laughs> he saved you. And with your saving from sin, death, the devil, and hell, comes a commissioning into life and the love of God and salvation and the work of heaven. With your salvation comes a commission. We've not only been commissioned, but we have been entrusted with, along those same lines, a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Can I get an amen? 
Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay, he reconciled us. It's part one, now part two. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not a post-salvation option. They come hand in hand. Who reconciled us through Christ and then entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation in the world. Verse 19, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get a thank you, Jesus? And here's part two. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The gospel going forth in the world. He didn't count our trespasses against us. He reconciled us through Christ. And he called us, as Jesus said in Luke 24, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Christ to every nation. Verse 20, therefore, here's a conclusion. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God. As though God were making an appeal through us. God chooses to work through his people, not independent of his people. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Notice that it says, we are ambassadors of God. Not some of you are ambassadors and some of you are pew potatoes. Not what it says. Not some of you have a normal life and some of you are on mission. Not what it says. It says of the Christian man, the Christian woman, and the Christian child, we are ambassadors of God. We are either then being obedient to that wonderful ambassadorship or we're not. We're either then being faithful with the ministry of reconciliation, with the Great Commission, or we are not. But it's been given to us by grace for God's glory. The passion of the father's heart. He said to the child whom he loves, I bring you into my passions. What does a father do but include his children in his passions? My son was growing up. I couldn't wait to include him in my passions. Right? Everything I would get a big one of, I'd get a little one for him. Big surfboard for me, little one for him. Big dirt bike for me, little one for him. Big gun for me, little one for him. Whatever it was, big and little. Because I wanted to include him in the passions of my heart. It's just what a father does. We are called to witness with Christ. And Christ is on mission in the world around you. And he has invited you commissioned you, called you, entrusted you, assigned you to partner with him. This is known as the priesthood of every believer. 1 Peter 2 says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, okay, being built up for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, here's why, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see how they go hand in hand? We receive mercy, and then we proclaim the mercy of God in the world. 
We are reconciled through Christ and we proclaim the work of Christ on the cross to the world. That is Christianity. The priesthood of every believer, we must begin to do away with this evil false divide between the clergy and the laity, the professional ministers and the normal people. That's not what the Bible has in mind. That's not in view what Christ has in view, excuse me. There are to be leaders within the church, but they are to equip and enable the church to do the work of the ministry. If it doesn't work that way, it, it, it doesn't work. I know that in America, we think that we come and we sit and we watch the professionals and they're doing all the work and occasionally we throw in a buck to get them over the hump and then we go home, but that's not what it's meant to be. There's so much more for your life. You are important to the Father. You are necessary to the kingdom of God. If it were not so, he would take you home. The fact that you, Christian, are still alive means that you have gifts and anointings and callings and spheres of influence and kingdom assignments that are important to your Savior. You understand that? You're incredibly important. So much so that Jesus puts your sending sort of in the same vein as his own sending. We are sent by God. John 20, after the resurrection, so Jesus said to them again, the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is our identity as Christians? Well, it's, it's voluminous. There's, there's so much to it. It's manifold. But a large part of it is that we are sent people. And, and what the church must do, what we must do as Christians, is recapture our sense of sentness. You are sent by God as who you are right now in what you do to be an ambassador, a representative, an appointed, anointed, empowered tool for God in your place. And some of you, He'll take from your place and send to another place. What a gift! What an honor, what a joy that Bree is being called to San Francisco. What a joy that the Finkenhauser family from our Ventura campus, the whole family is being called to Liberia. What a privilege and an honor that God would look down from heaven and say, hey, you right there, I'm calling you to some other place. I want you there. And equals a joy and privilege to know that where you are right now, God has a purpose for your life. God doesn't want to use you someday. God doesn't want to use you if you get it together. God doesn't want to use you maybe. He wants to use you now as who you are for his glory and his purposes. All we need to do is agree and partner with that. We are sent people. Romans 10 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone say thank you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But... How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. 
Are you willing to let your feet be beautiful? It may mean that at certain times you need to appear as a fool because sometimes the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It may be that for your feet to be beautiful at times, you'll have to lay aside certain things. Are you willing to let your feet be beautiful? It may be that you just got to just beg for the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and in crazy boldness, open up your mouth to proclaim the gospel. Are you willing to let your feet be beautiful? Who's going to tell Jesus? Who's going to tell Jesus? Who's going to tell your friends about Jesus? Who's going to tell your family? Are you waiting for someone else to do it? Your coworkers, your classmates, are, are you waiting for Lazo to come to your workplace? Are you waiting for Lazo to come to your family reunion? Are you waiting for someone else to come to your friends? There is nobody better to reach your people than you. You don't have to contextualize. You don't have to like be clever and think up all this stuff. You are among them. You get them. You speak their language. You know their pains and their doubts and their trials and their hopes and their dreams and their disappointments and their brokenness. And you are perfectly suited and you are called to verbalize the gospel to them. That's what you're called to do. Are you willing to let your feet be beautiful? But not just those whom you know. What about those that we don't know? Do you know that there are over 7,000 unreached people group in the world? 43% of all the people groups in the world are still unreached with the gospel. Who will go? I am certain that there are more of us in this church who are being called by the Holy Spirit to go than are obeying. I know that to be true. We need more men and women and families who will say, Lord, I will go. I am willing at the cost of everything to let my feet be beautiful that they might hear the gospel. There are 6,800 languages in the world and there are about 2,000 of those languages that have no Bible and no portion thereof. None whatsoever. Who will go? Who's willing to go long-term to sit amongst the people and learn the language and learn the culture and become one of them? And for those who don't even have alphabet or, or grammar, begin to design those and begin to translate the scriptures into their own languages. As the Dicks have done in South America, our missionaries down there, they've been there for 30 years and for two decades, they just learned the people and the language. And now they're translating the New Testament into a language in which it has never been. We need so many more of those people. Some of you are called to that. And that, my brothers and sisters, is a joy and an honor and a privilege. How privileged is the family going to Liberia? How privileged is Bree going to San Francisco? How privileged are the dicks in South America? How privileged are you to be an ambassador for the King of Kings? You represent the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things. Now, though it's a joy and an honor and a privilege, let's be honest, verbalizing the gospel, especially to those who are near to us, 
can be difficult, right? It's hard. It's scary. It's intimidating. Why? Because we have relational currency with them. And in our current culture, there's relational risk. We understand that. Some people are deeply offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get that. It can be very hard. I have a very hard time doing it. It's much easier for me to preach to many people than to be sitting on the beach with someone that I grew up with and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's just tremendous relational risk there, but I, I have to say to myself and to you, I don't see anything in scripture that releases me from the privilege and honor of telling people about Jesus because it's hard or scary. And, and so my prayer becomes that I might say like the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. It breaks the power of Satan. The gospel breaks the power of death. It breaks the power and the penalty of sin. And to be ashamed of that is a shameful thing. I know that we sometimes are. I'm no different than you. I'm intimidated by that. But I don't see anything in Scripture that releases us from the passions of the Father who loves the world because it's hard. I do see, to the contrary, that God will actually hold us accountable to our participation in the passion of his heart. There is for the believer called something, something called, excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ, where we will stand before Christ, every believer to be judged, not for our sins, those we're taking care of at the cross, but for faithfulness. What did you do with regards to the propagation of the gospel with your life's space, your place, what did you do with your talents, your resources, and your opportunities? Were they always spent on you or were they ever spent on the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ here and to the nations? We, my brothers and sisters whom I love, I say this with fear and trembling, will stand before Christ, the one whose eyes are a flaming fire and we will give an account. For what we did. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he does, whether good or bad. Again, this is not a judgment for sins. It's a judgment for faithfulness with resource and your life space. Bad there means worthless. Did you do good things, good for the kingdom of God and the furtherance of the gospel? Did you realize that you were saved for good works which God prepared beforehand? Did you walk in them according to the power of the Spirit? Or did you push that aside for something else? We'll stand before Christ, each one of us, and we'll give an answer for that. With regards to the gospel going forth in the judgment seat of Christ, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, anyone who builds on that foundation, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, may use a variety of materials. This is a metaphor for being engaged in mission. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 
If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. We will be rewarded for faithfulness at the judgment seat of Christ. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. You're not going to lose your salvation because you weren't faithful with mission. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Not all that it could have been. I'll, I'll be honest. I, scripture makes no apologies about holding forth reward from Christ as a good and proper motivation for a life of faithful mission. We want to get to the end of this life and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll be honest. When we experience that picture of heaven from Revelation and every tongue, tribe, and nation is gathered around the throne exalting Christ, I want to see people in whose lives I played a part to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to them. I want to have Christ reveal that to me and to you for those whom you influence. I want to stand in that great multitude and not feel as though it's all strangers, but feel as though we played a part in the kingdom work of God and the passionate desire of God to exalt Christ and bring together all of his people in the praise and glory of our Lord. I want to be there and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm inspired by Daniel 12, 3, which says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. I'm talking about good old-fashioned evangelism. Just telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 tells us that we ought to do this and it tells us what's at stake. It says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everybody. Be able to teach. Talking about teaching the precepts of God and the good news of the gospel. And be patient with difficult people. Help me, Jesus. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Okay, we need to know that mission always brings opposition. What do we do? Very seldom are we called to just shake the dirt off our feet and move on. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. That is many within our culture. We're to instruct, not abandon. Perhaps, here's what's at stake, perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Listen to your brothers and sisters. You cannot change anybody. You can't even change yourself. Aren't you frustrated by that? How often do you want to change and you can't even change? You can't change the way you look. You can't change the way you smell. You definitely can't change your heart. It's so difficult. We can cover it up, get a hairdo and dye my hair and put makeup on and put perfume on. But man, you are powerless to change your own heart 
Only the Holy Spirit of God changes the hearts of men, women, and children. You are not responsible to change the heart of anyone. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. It's a partnership. You proclaim the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, and the anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Christ, and God changes hearts. What's at stake? And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. That's heavy passage. That's us before Christ rescued us when we were utterly helpless, Romans said. And now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of rescue. We can't save anybody. We can't change anybody's hearts. We can't force them to believe. But we can tell the good news and the truth about Jesus, which is the power of God to save people. This will always be difficult. But listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. Okay, this will always be hard engaging in mission. And Peter says, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Don't worry about their threats. Join with the Holy Spirit in exalting Christ in your own heart. Okay? The bigger Christ is in your heart, the smaller the threats and the jokes and the dismissal of people is. Why is the Holy Spirit always wanting to exalt Christ in your heart? Because he's worthy and he's wonderful. And when he's big, people are smaller. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, sanctify Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Jesus. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Man, in this lifetime, we are gonna suffer. You might as well suffer in the cause of Christ. Always be ready. Brothers and sisters, we need to get ourselves to the place where the gospel falls easily off our lips. You know what I used to do? I used to drive down the road on my commute and preach the gospel to myself out loud. I did it for years. I would preach the gospel to myself. And then I would ask myself questions, right? Well, what about this? Well, really, what about that? Well, how do you know this? And I would practice answering the common questions that I would hear from my friends. I practiced that for years to the point where the gospel began to roll easily off my lips. And when I asked myself a question that I didn't know the answer to, I just got myself a good book and discovered the answer and then practiced giving that answer. It says always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Be ready. Pastor G and I, early on in our ministry, we used to work out at the YMCA together here in Santa Barbara. I know you could tell he worked out, but not me, but... We worked out together, and then we would sit in the steam room afterwards, and we would practice this back and forth. One of us would pretend as though we weren't a Christian, and the other one would share the gospel with them. And there would be other people in the steam room. 
And so he would be like sharing the gospel with me, bro, you know, I mean, you just, you need to be forgiven and Christ died for you. And all the stuff would be like, yeah, well, what about, and I'd ask him questions and he would respond and we would just let people listen. It was a ruse. We were faking it, but we were communicating the gospel and we were practicing. What do you have to do to be ready to make a defense for anyone that asks the reason of the hope of Christ in you? Do it. Scriptures say to be ready. The hope that we have in Christ is so gloriously wonderful. Why would we not practice communicating it and why would we ever keep it to ourselves? I am as guilty as you are and I would say that when we refuse to communicate the gospel, there is nothing more cruel or selfish in all of humanity. Because we do believe that it is the only way, that Christ is the only name by which men and women can be saved. And to withhold that name and that news because it's difficult is on par with any other atrocious thing humanity's ever seen. And there's no greater miss in our life than a miss partnering with the Holy Spirit and the gospel going forth. Daniel 11 says, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Jesus knew this would be tremendously difficult when he told his disciples to do it in the Great Commission and in Luke 24, the text we read. So he said, don't do it until I send you the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we, we talked about that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then any time you need power to be my witnesses, the Holy Spirit is available to you. And the Holy Spirit, in exalting Christ in our hearts and moving us toward consecration, sanctification, and holiness, will make us ready and willing to do anything for the gospel. If you give yourself to a pursuit of the person of the Holy Spirit, be aware, brother, be aware, sister. He will begin to make you do anything for the sake of the gospel. When he called me into ministry, I was the heir to the biggest and most successful surfboard company in the world. I wanted that sucker bad. I was groomed from before I could even walk to take over that business. It, it was my life. When he called me in the ministry, he called me to walk away from it. It meant millions of dollars. It meant fame. It meant notoriety. It meant a lifestyle of fun and traveling and surfing and all these things. He said, are you willing to be a fool and walk away from that? None of your friends would ever walk away from that. You've got to be a fool to walk away from that. Are you willing to be a fool to walk away from that to preach the gospel? I never would have done it if the Holy Spirit wasn't at work in me to exalt Christ and create consecration. I never would have done it in and of myself. I regret it all the time. <laughs> but there is coming a day where I will not regret it. When every... You know when else I wanted to walk away from proclaiming the gospel is when my daughter died. I said to God more than once when my daughter died, I'm done with you. 
I give my life to proclaiming the gospel and you let my daughter suffer for years and die of cancer? I am done with you. And if I were left to myself, I would have walked away. But the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in me would not stop exalting Christ and calling forth consecration so that I had to say, Lord, even in the face and in the midst of my deepest pain, you're worth telling the world about. That hurts very often to do that. It's very difficult. But we have been given one. The Holy Spirit of God through whom and by whom we can do all things in the cause of the gospel as he calls and enables. Brothers and sisters, Christ is worthy of our proclamation. It will always be difficult. But listen to Paul in 2 Timothy. Paul says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civil life for then they can't please the officer who enlisted them. Always remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and this is the good news I preach. Listen to Paul's testimony. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. He says then, so I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. What a guy. Willing to endure anything for the salvation of the nations and the glory of Jesus Christ. The story of the book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit anointing, baptizing, and empowering men and women to endure anything in the cause of the gospel. And they endured by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were never left to themselves. They endured by the power of the Holy Spirit. And aren't you thankful that they endured? Because they endured, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem to here in our own coastlands. And you have been saved because faithful men and women endured. Don't become a stop block to the gospel. You too endure in the cause of it that others might be saved. You have the same Holy Spirit in you. You have the same commission. Will you, by grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, be faithful? Perhaps today some of you will pray for the gift of evangelism. We've seen people with that gift and it's a beautiful thing. Perhaps you don't have that gift and never will, and it will always be hard for you. I say this again. I understand that it is hard. But where do we discover in Scripture that hard is a criteria for that from which we abstain? I am sure that Christ taught the polar opposite. 
who lied to us and said that Jesus died so that we could live selfishly and always choose the path of least resistance and not offend anybody with the truth. Who lied to us and told us that? At what point in our history did we begin to believe that? Are not the souls of men and women and children worth whatever we may suffer, whatever foolishness we may take on? I'm calling us upward. I'm calling us to live bigger than we've been living. I'm calling us to partner with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. But then he also said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will preach the gospel. We are in the foreground, verbalizing, and he is in the background, actualizing. We are proclaiming, he is convicting. It's a partnership. The Spirit convicts the world, empowers the Christian, and leads us on mission. And these are things we could never do in and of ourselves. In the book, Finish the Mission, it says, if the posture of mission is one of sentness, then the promise of mission is power from the Holy Spirit. So today, we're gonna have the prayer team up here. And once again, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and have them lay hands on you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're just gonna lay hands on other people. You don't need the prayer team, as we've said many times. Or, or ask someone who's around you to lay hands on you. But the, the issue is the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't do any mission until you've received power from on high. And every time we need power or fresh anointing, it's available to us. The salient point is that we ask the Father, we say to the Father, I want to join in your mission in the passion of your heart, but I need power from on high. And the scripture says that it's available. We're going to do that today. You're going to come forward and ask people to lay hands on you to be commissioned for your life space. Maybe you're a mom and you want to be commissioned to be faithful with the truth and the gospel before your children get prayed for. Maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman and you want to be commissioned to be faithful with the gospel in the business place. We desperately need you to do that. Maybe you're a teacher, you're in our schools, or you're an administrator. We desperately need you to be commissioned and empowered to represent Christ in that place. Maybe you're an artist. I don't know what you are, but we are all called and sent and today we have a great opportunity to lay hands on one another and line up and have the prayer team lay hands on you, anoint you, and commission you for faithful service. There was a guy who died in 1907. His name was John Gibson Patton. I'll just read to you from one of John Piper's books about him. John Gibson Patton was called to the cannibalistic island of Iowa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. In 1866. He was used to bring the entire island to Christ and later wrote, Here's what he did. I claimed Aniwa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. The whole island of cannibals was saved. The whole island turned to Jesus. Before he got to that island, he was on another island. He had been there three months, and his wife died, who had just given birth. 30 days later, his child died. When he went to this island with a new wife, they birthed 10 children, four of which died on this island but he persevered and a whole island was saved of cannibals. It goes on. At one point, while being called there, he faced criticism from a friend 
That won't happen. Who tried to persuade him not to go, saying that he would be eaten by cannibals. To this, Patton replied, quote, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He was no different than you. He just decided to obey the commission and count the cost and follow Jesus. Who will go? I'm going to pronounce this blessing over us now. May God be merciful and bless us. May his face smile with favor on us. May your ways, Lord, be known throughout the earth. Your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest. God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us. And people all over the world will fear him. Psalm 67. Thank you, Lord, for your great commission. Thank you that in your love you've called us. And now by your spirit grant us vision. Let us feel the call closer to us than our own skin. Let the very air that we breathe in and exhale whisper the call that is upon our lives. If our hearts were able to bear it, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse of the fate of the unredeemed. That our heart would break for those even as yours breaks. The Lord says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn and live. Lord, that you would burden our hearts with what burdens yours, that your burning passion would become our burning passion by the enabling, infilling, empowering, and leading of the Holy Spirit. 